It's my pleasure to introduce this year's keynote speaker, Dr. Andrew R. Clark, a veterinarian who also holds a master's degree in business administration. Dr. Clark is the CEO of the American Veterinary Medical Association's Professional Liability Insurance Trust, and he owns his own consulting business through which he provides business coaching for veterinarians. Throughout his career, Dr. Clark has owned and provided business insight of several equine veterinary enterprises. Through his extensive experience, he has developed business skills, which he uses to help veterinarians and other business executives to be successful leaders and practice managers. He's worked with countless veterinarians who are adept at patient care to understand the financial performance of their enterprise and employ strategies to help them reach their business objectives. Dr. Clark has not only maximized his veterinary education to advance equine health, but he also has embraced his business career interests to help veterinary colleagues to be successful leaders, thereby contributing to the larger veterinary profession. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Clark. Congratulations, it's graduation day, and it's the day that you've all been looking forward to, and it's finally here. And I remember, um, I remember the, the abject relief that I felt when I walked across the stage as a, as a veterinary graduate. I believe that if a group of people dedicate some time out of their day to listen to some guy talk at a graduation, they're entitled to know how the guy got to the podium. That, that's fair enough. I was born in a very small town, Bishop, California, and there was only one veterinarian, Dr. Joe Hurd. Oh, I, someone knows where a bishop is. <laughs> As a little kid, I decided I wanted to be a horse doctor like Dr. Hurd, but that's a little bit odd because the only veterinarian I had ever seen was Dr. Hurd, who, who was sort of a James Harriet. He took care of whatever animal in the town needed attention. He took care of it. So I suppose I extrapolated from watching Dr. Hurd work on dogs and cats and the occasional bird and cows and horses that I decided to be a horse doctor. And because I thought it was cool when he repaired a laceration on my grandfather's horse, Ginger. And if you've ever been around a ranch on the day that the veterinarian is, is examining the, the cows for pregnancy, you know that it is remarkably hectic and really noisy. The cows are separated from the calves for a couple of hours, and they're all bellowing. Cowboys are pushing the, the cows into the chute to have the veterinarian examine them. And the cowboys are all shouting, hurry up, doc, hurry up, doc, because they want to get on to their real work. In the middle of this pandemonium, I'm 11 years old, okay, and I walk up to Dr. Joseph J. Hurd, and he's, he's got his arm in a cow. And, and I, I actually, I'm embarrassed about this now, but I actually tugged on his overalls. And I said, Dr. Hurd, how do I become a horse doctor? And then he did a thing that I appreciate decades later. He stopped what he was doing, he took off his palpation sleeve, and he sat down on a bucket. And he told me that the only thing I could do now was to become a really good student. And he said, you'll be a good student in high school, you'll be a good student in college, you'll be a good student in veterinary school. And then I remember he said, and poof, you're a horse doctor. <laughs> so then he went back to work, okay, and the cowboys stopped shouting, hurry up, doc. And the, the reason I'm telling you this story is Dr. Hurd touched my life. I had been a, not an excellent student at all 
to, to 11 years old. I was, I was the kid every teacher dreads having in their class. And it was like a light switch. That day, I changed, and I became a really good student. So I graduated from UC Davis College of Vet Med in 1977, and I joined Pioneer Equine Hospital. It's a hospital that had great mentors. And I had Dr. John Britton, who I undoubtedly believe was the best first boss in the world. No, no, no slight to anyone else's first boss, but he was the best. And I learned something from him every single day. And one day, about six weeks after I graduated from veterinary school, I was palpating a mare for 21-day pregnancy. And in 1977, that was a hard thing because ultrasound didn't exist for, for veterinary medicine yet. And I, I palpated the mare, and I was brimming with confidence because I had worked under Dr. John Hughes here, and I had palpated a lot of mares. So I was a practice-ready veterinarian as far as equine reproduction goes. So I palpate the mare, and the woman's brought the mare in, and so I'm telling her a great deal about the tone of the uterus and the tubularity and the firmness and the length of the cervix and the fact that the ovaries were not active at all. And I mind, in my mind, that was a victory. That was an A+. Plus. And I could just imagine Dr. Hughes telling me what a great job I'd done. So Dr. Britton, my mentor, walked into the office, and I was getting ready to do the next thing, and he came back out, and he was kind of quiet, and I could tell he was really serious. And he says, what do you think's going on in the office with the receptionist? I don't know. He said, the, the woman is asking the receptionist if her mare is pregnant. That's a laugh line. You can laugh. <laughs> so he came back, um, and he said, you know, all the way through veterinary school, you're praised and promoted for long answers, complicated answers. And the day you enter private practice, you're praised and promoted for concise, clear answers. He said, so how about you tell her this? How about you tell her, your mare's pregnant, ma'am, congratulations. <laughs> and he... Um, he pointed out that the mare's owner hadn't asked me what the condition of the mare's uterus or reproductive tract was. <laughs> she wanted to know if the mare was pregnant. And he, he taught me to, to understand the question someone had when they brought the mare to the hospital. So I spent the next 24 years in equine practice striving to deliver answers focused on clarity and delivering the answers the quest answers to the question that they asked. So Dr. Britton touched my life. So in January of 1997, I had a nearly fatal um, horse-related accident with some spinal complications, and I needed a new way to make a living. So in the fall, I entered uh, the MBA program at St. Mary's College of Economics and Business in Moraga. I stepped into the classroom the first day and I was terrified. It had been 20 years since I was in a classroom, and I was absolutely certain that all of these people had an incredible advantage over a middle-aged guy who hasn't been in a classroom in 20 years, and that I might actually be wasting my time even enrolling in, a, in an MBA program. So I talked to my wife, Kathleen, that evening, and I, I was whining 
and that's what I was doing, about being older than everyone. And then I thought I might actually be older than the professor, okay? <laughs> and this went on for a while, and Kathleen is a great person, and she, she gets it, okay? And so she, she let me whine for a while, and then she reeled me back in, okay? And we started talking about goal setting and how important it is to state a goal out loud to someone you care about. And I didn't also realize that she was, she was setting a trap, okay? And finally, she says, well, so what's your goal? Why are you at St. Mary's? And I am guilty of being a smart aleck um, on, on occasion, not chronically, but I will. So I look, and with all the dripping sarcasm in the world, I say, oh, I suppose I'd just go ahead and graduate with honors. And then I realized, bam, the trap was sprung. And she had given me an idea, waited for me to have it, and I had said it out loud in front of her. So that's the key to goal setting. The problem was that in my current state of mind, I thought it was a totally impossible goal, and I was really sorry I said it, okay? But pride is a terrible master, okay? So I do not want to have to, I have to graduate with honors just so that I don't, I don't look like I was a smart ass. So, sorry, I, um, <laughs> I was a little earthy, I'm sorry. Um, so I go into the dean's office, and the dean was Dr. Ed Epstein in the next, the next morning, and I, I told him my goals, and I had the, I am sure that I had the body language of a partially melted Hershey bar, okay? And I was apologizing with my voice for, for telling him what my goal was, and, the, and, and I asked him um, how the honors program really worked, and if he give me any words of wisdom. And so, like Dr. Hurd decades before, he did the same thing. He acted like it was the perfect time to talk about this, and it was a totally reasonable request, a goal, for a 40-something guy, hadn't been in a classroom, and, and here, here we are. And he actually spent some time, and he said, you know, we're really lucky to have you and people like you in our MBA program because you bring life's experience. So, so the partially Hershey, melted Hershey bar is sort of raising up just a little bit, and okay? And um, so he suggested that I go into each professor on the first day of class and ask them, what does an honors student look like in your class? And I graduated with honors in my MBA, but more importantly, so I could face Kathleen, I, I graduated with confidence. That, um, that wasn't for Kathleen. The confidence was that I could move forward in life. Um, so I was armed with my MBA and 20 years experience in veterinary medicine. I started a consulting company providing virtual CEO services. And that was, uh, when I was in my MBA program, I did a lot of scut work around Silicon Valley and one of the things that I saw them have, because in, the, in that time there weren't enough CEOs to go around, so they had virtual CEOs that were the CEO of several companies. So I applied that to veterinary medicine. And that led me to the oldest and largest equine practice in the world. I was the CEO of Haggard Equine Medical Institute in Lexington, Kentucky. And my current position is the CEO of the AVMA PLIT. Um, that's the Professional Liability Insurance Trust. And the, the, the trust provides insurance programs for 95,000 veterinarians. 
And, and it's a really cool job because my performance is not judged on financial results. My performance is judged on how many AVMA members use the, the, the programs and how happy are they. So I'm really in a customer service company that provides insurance programs. So every day I strive to do three things. Thanks to Dr. Hurd, I try and learn as much as I can from every situation. And thanks to Dr. Britton, I try to listen carefully and try to understand each question. And I try, I try to answer it clearly. And thanks to Dean Epstein, I try to understand what success looks like to the people with whom I speak. And I try to help them position to be successful in, in, their, in their goal. And my veterinary degree has been the foundation for which I have built a totally cool, awesome career. And at some point in the career of every veterinarian, we all begin to realize that there are two outcomes. There is the client outcome, and there is the patient outcome. And in every practice I've ever visited, there's a letter or an email from an owner of a horse that the veterinarian euthanized. Let's think about two outcomes, okay? The, the patient outcome could not be any worse, and you're responsible for it. Okay, and in spite of that, the owner sent you a thank you card. Okay, so that is an unbelievable client outcome. The animal is dead, you killed it, and they're sending you a thank you card. Okay, so what, what happened right there is the veterinarian touched the life of the owner, offering empathy, support, and encouragement in an awful day in that owner's life. Congratulations, you're graduating. You have a superpower, okay? And that superpower is touching lives. I told you the story of three people, but dozens, maybe probably hundreds of people have touched, people have touched my life. But you have that superpower. You can touch lives. And yes, you'll touch animal lives. That's what you're trained for. You have, you're trained and educated to be the voice and the advocate for animals. And the animals don't have a voice and often don't have an advocate. So that's a critical work. But you also have the opportunity to touch human lives, okay? And that's, that's your superpower. So I want to have you, ask you to use your superpower wisely, never waste an opportunity to touch a life, and throughout your career, change will happen, life will become difficult, it'll become complicated, but you'll still have the superpower to touch lives. Don't forget about your superpower, okay? Touch as many lives as you can. Thank you, and thank you for raising them. <laughs>